Hello, and welcome to the Serial Talker Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Von Gom. In today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about a horrific murder that took place on Christmas Eve of 2019. The headlines were shocking. Kevin Bacon murdered. Well, it turns out it is not the Kevin Bacon that we are all familiar with, the Hollywood actor. It was another Kevin Bacon in Michigan, living in a small town outside of Flint. He was a hairdresser and he was murdered. It's a terrifying case that should have only existed in the pages of a horror novel. Months before the killing, two of Mark Latunsky's grinder dates had fled his basement bondage sessions in half-naked terror. One hopped a fence in the middle of an October night to call 911, telling officers of leather ankle straps and a chain used to restrain him. Then, a month later in November, another date bolted from Latunsky's house wearing nothing but a leather kilt, telling authorities Latunsky persuaded him to wear it for their kinky games. Officers arrived as Latunsky was chasing the terrified man down the street. He told authorities that he just wanted his pricey $300 piece of clothing back. Sadly, both men declined to press charges against Latunsky, stating that their sexual activities with him were consensual and that they had simply gotten creeped out by him and his twisted play. It would be Latunsky's third and final act, one month later in December, on Christmas Eve, that would not only bring an end to his morbid, psychopathic obsessions, but also to the end of another date's life and the beginning of a very, very twisted story. It was supposed to be a quick hookup. Meet the guy, have sex, return home. That's what Kevin Bacon told his best friend and roommate, Michelle Myers. At around 5 p.m. on December 24, 2019, in Swartz Creek, Michigan, a suburb about 20 minutes southwest of Flint, Bacon, a 25-year-old hairdresser, headed out to meet a guy he met on Grinder, the dating and hookup app created predominantly for gay, bisexual, and transgender men. The plan was to meet at a dollar store near Bacon's home and then take the guy's car back to his place. When Bacon pulled into the parking lot, Mark Latunsky was casually leaning against his car, texting on his phone. They exchanged pleasantries and started their date for the evening. Latunsky had Bacon leave his phone and clothes behind in his car. He wouldn't need them for what they had planned. Latunsky had prepared a selection of outfits for Bacon to wear in the car for the 30-minute drive to his Bennington Township home. Bacon picked out an outfit, stripped naked, and climbed into the back of Latunsky's van. Then Latunsky blindfolded him, put earmuffs and restraints on him, and covered him with a blanket. Role-playing and props were part of the hookup fantasy the two had agreed upon. And Latunsky promised him it was safe, a promise he wouldn't keep. Bacon was upset. He was having family problems. After finishing work that afternoon at the salon across from his home, he met up with his sister and mom to do their hair. 
They mentioned that someone he wasn't crazy about seeing was coming for dinner, so he decided not to stick around, went home, and looked for a distraction. He went on Grinder. Myers and other of Bacon's friends say this wasn't abnormal behavior for Kevin. Like many young men, he often bragged to his friends about his casual relationships. But he also used sex to escape his problems. Among those problems, he hated being in the sleepy suburb town of Swartz Creek. Standing over six feet tall with a husky build, Bacon's flamboyant style stood out among the droves of suburbanites. He sometimes carried a purse, and he had an eye for designer clothes. Despite only being in his mid-twenties, he was already sporting a receding hairline and would often dye it bright and flamboyant colors. For Bacon, 2019 had been a torturous year, but it started to turn it around. He was planning to move to Chicago to be closer to friends and part of a more diverse gay community. But staying on a structured spending plan was not easy for Bacon, as he constantly struggled with money. So he was stuck in Swartz Creek, at least for now. When he got back to the apartment he shared with Myers that Christmas Eve, he decided to look for a date. During his time scrolling on his phone, he and his roommate discussed her plans for the evening, a game night and some drinks at a friend's place. It wasn't long before Bacon found a hookup with a guy who lived nearby. He got ready and left in his car shortly after 5 p.m. A Nest doorbell camera captured him walking out the door. He never came home. The next day, after he missed Christmas breakfast with his family, his father called the police. For three days, friends, family, and authorities looked desperately for Bacon. The local news stations tagged along with the search. Friends came in from Flint and other nearby towns to scout railroads, brush, and farmland. They thought that if he were dead, he would at least be in a field somewhere or out in the open. But while people searched open fields, Kevin Bacon was in the basement of a stone cottage in a rural area about 20 miles outside of town, hanging naked by his ankles from the rafters, his throat slit. The alleged assailant was his date, Mark Latunsky, who would quickly confess to the crime. But the horrific details of his murder were much more chilling than his worried loved ones could ever have imagined. Long before being arrested for a most heinous crime, Mark Latunsky, a father of four, appeared to live a normal and productive life. After graduating from college in 1991, he interned for Dow Chemical and four years later earned a master's degree in chemistry from Iowa State. He worked as a formulary chemist developing environmentally friendly inks and coatings and holds multiple patents for his lithographic inks. His marriage began to unravel and he and his wife split in 2013. The ex-wife told the divorce court judge he'd earned a good living, over $100,000 a year for a while, but his mental health began to slip. He received diagnoses on two occasions, in 2010 and 2012, and was determined to have a shopping list of issues, including severe recurrent and chronic major depression with psychotic features, 
adjustment disorder with depression and anxiety, with paranoid schizophrenia, and borderline personality traits. According to reports of his divorce, his ex-wife claimed that he refused to take his medication, and when he was off it, he would act erratic, watching torture films, and at times, threatening to kill his children's pets. After splitting from his wife, Latunsky began to frequent the dating app Grinder, where he sought and ultimately forged a gay relationship. His profile photos on the dating app and other social media showed him posing in a leather kilt. One post saying, If I told you that I have underwear on with leather, would anyone believe me at this point? Never let your guard down lest you be fooled by a costume. Perform a kilt check and there's always a winner. He met Jamie Arnold on Grinder, and the two fell in love and married in 2016. Before long, however, that marriage too was on the rocks. According to Arnold, at times he would go home to find someone else there having sex with Latunsky. Latunsky tried to get him to join, but he refused. He'd finally had enough and had to get out, unable to take that lifestyle anymore. Like many suburban towns on the outskirts of tertiary cities, Swartz Creek is notable for its simplicity. People who live there often mention its small-town living, with proximity to a bigger city, Flint, Michigan, which is just a short drive away. Driving in, you pass through acres and acres of farmland. The city brims over with strip malls and country-styled restaurants, a dilapidated water tower along Miller Road, the city's main drag, bears the city's name and is worn from the decades of rain and snow. The Swartz Creek Waterway edges along the city, landscaping the backyards of ranch homes set against long gravel driveways. Small duplexes with tiny manicured lawns become more prominent as it gets closer to the city's main center. A couple miles more, passing the dollar stores, dive bars, and strip malls, and you come to a large mall, the Genesee Commons, which housed the J.C. Penney, where Kevin Bacon had started as a receptionist, working his way up to hairstylist. The job was a calling to him. In high school, he tested out new hairdos on his girlfriends, and though he gave a valiant effort, they sometimes felt trepidation when Bacon got experimental. Still, he became experienced enough where he sometimes did a friend's son's hair and eventually his roommate. It wasn't what his father Carl, a packaging engineer, wanted him to pursue, according to Kevin's friends. Kevin told them Carl expected him to go into a technical trade and forego the pie-in-the-sky sentimentalities of being a famous hairdresser. So, Bacon started out by going to local Baker College. He'd gotten into his dream school, Eastern Michigan University, but he couldn't afford the $200 housing deposit. Even during college, his roommate recalls, Bacon was always fond of doing hair, so he dropped out and got his cosmetology license. Eventually, Bacon went back to school, this time at the University of Michigan Flint, working hair gigs on the side and even holding down a brief stint at the college's Center for Gender and Sexuality in 2019. He seemed to be working toward a future he could be proud of. But he had a troubled side, too. 
According to his friends, Bacon had a history of depression and body image issues, sometimes spiraling to the point of causing self-harm. He would eat his emotions, alternating between starving himself and binging, or cut himself on his legs and arms. And he was triggered into dangerous situations. Myers, his roommate, remembers going to see A Star is Born together. She says he was out of it after watching the hanging scene. The next day, he overdosed on pills and had to get his stomach pumped. A month later, his mother took him back to the hospital after she said he didn't feel safe. In November 2019, Bacon cut himself so many times that you couldn't see his skin. Two weeks later, he again checked himself into a psychiatric treatment center. Part of the way he dealt with his depression was by finding new partners online. But Bacon's emotional life was complicated even more by his relationships. His friends say the men he dated often psychologically abused him. One man aggressively accused Bacon of cheating, and another seemed to be just using him for rides. The two men were examples of projects that Bacon often attracted, broken men that he hoped to fix. However, these failed relationships pushed him deeper into depression, according to friends in Chicago. When Bacon visited, they partied in the city's gay district, Boys Town, and Bacon vowed to move to Chicago. But after returning back to Swartz Creek, he again struggled to manage his finances slipped into a state of depression and went searching online for another person he could love and fix. Maybe it was the gory details of the case that drew media attention or his famous name that made it such a compelling story. The murder drew international headlines and it didn't take long for local outlets to find out that there might have been signs this was coming. It turns out Kevin Bacon was the third man who allegedly been attacked by Mark Latunsky. On October 10th, 2019, James Carlson called 911, claiming that he'd been kidnapped and awoken in the basement. On the phone call, Carlson says, I met this guy. I'm bi. He's cute. He hit on me. I don't know. We went to the car and talked. We went to the store. I had a soda and I woke up in the basement. Carlson told the operator he'd been chained up and freed himself using a butcher knife to cut off the leather strap that bound his wrists. He escaped the house, butcher knife in hand, and stole his captor's car keys before running down Terrell Road, a three-mile stretch that runs parallel to Interstate 69. I've never had anything like this happen before, he told the operator after he ran. I don't know if he drugged me. All I know is I ended up locked in the fucking basement, okay? Chained in the basement. Within 10 minutes, troopers arrived to find Carlson on the side of the road. Carlson told officers the man was a stranger. Oddly, perhaps out of shame, he declined to press charges. Soon, a fuller version of his story came to light when, in June 2020, Carlson filed a federal lawsuit against Latunsky. In it, Carlson claimed that he had taken a bus from New York to Michigan explicitly to have sex with Latunsky. But when he got there, Latunsky chained him up in his basement and held him captive, a 
according to the court complaint. Six weeks after Carlson's run-in with Latunsky, on the afternoon of November 25th, a 29-year-old man ran out of the same home and also called 911. He escaped wearing nothing but a leather kilt that belonged to Latunsky, Latunsky chasing after him. On the 911 dispatch, he says, I'm trying to get away from some creepy guy. He had me tied up in his basement. He's after me. Soon after, he ran to a neighbor's home, pleading with them to give him an address he could give to the police. A state trooper showed up at the neighbor's house, but oddly, once again, no charges were filed. The state police spokesperson later told local papers that Latunsky was only chasing the man because the leather kilt was expensive. Again, despite the frantic calls of two men complaining of being chained and held captive, police played down the seriousness and said that nobody wanted officers involved. State police officials say there was nothing they could do at the time of either incident because the two men chose not to press charges. They believe that's because the victims wanted to keep the events of those nights secret. Nobody wanted to file charges. A lot of times people have a professional life and personal life. They don't want to intertwine the two. Their personal life is very secret, very protected, according to a police source involved with the case. It appears officers dropped Carlson off at a gas station with no money or way to get back home and didn't inquire any further into what happened. It's been suggested that had Carlson not been a gay man, the situation would have been treated differently. There should have been further investigation, more follow-up. Just some basic police work could have changed this whole situation, and Kevin Bacon might still be alive. It seems the gay card may have played a very unfortunate role in the outcome. Why wasn't Latunsky questioned further? Is it because it's just gay guys doing kinky stuff in a basement? What would have happened if a girl was chained in the basement and ran out of there? Even if she said don't worry about it, most likely the police would have investigated it further. In some cases where people live together or are in an intimate relationship, the state can file charges on their own. But that wouldn't necessarily happen with people who just met on a casual hookup, according to one county prosecutor. A hookup or casual meeting from an app like Grindr wouldn't have triggered the police to force an investigation or arrest. In cases of stranger assault such as this, police do have the ability to persuade victims to press charges. However, there is a limit to how much the police can do without a complaining or cooperating witness. But even if police had launched an investigation, there are those who say that it may not have made a difference because assault cases, especially those with reluctant witnesses, are difficult to prosecute and often result in little jail time. Michigan assault convictions can carry a maximum penalty of 10 years in prison, but without a witness's complaint, convictions become much less likely. There will always be the argument that if police had investigated the first two cases more thoroughly, then Kevin Bacon wouldn't be dead, which in itself makes a lot of problematic assumptions. If there had been an arrest, there would have been a prosecution. And if there had been a prosecution, 
there would have been a conviction. And if there had been a conviction, there would have been incarceration. And there would have been incarceration for enough time that he would not have interacted with the other men that he interacted with. But it's impossible to know what would have happened if Litunsky had been arrested sooner. It was Christmas Eve, and when Litunsky and Bacon arrived at Litunsky's home, the role-playing continued, as did the sexual intimacy. It ended in Litunsky's basement. According to Litunsky, Kevin Bacon had explained to him that he had been suicidal in the past, and the discussion began about how Litunsky could help end Bacon's suffering and make his body disappear. After the two had sex in the basement, Litunsky stabbed Kevin in the back of the neck at the hairline. To ensure he didn't feel any more pain, Litunsky, using a mechanical device attached to the rafters in his basement, hoisted Bacon up by his ankles and slit his throat. Litunsky later stated that Bacon asked him to use a sword to kill him, but Litunsky told investigators that he used a knife instead because he believed it would make Bacon's death painless. Strung up in Litunsky's kill room, Bacon's blood drained onto the dirt under an open trap door, set up so the body fluids could fertilize the plants outside the house, according to investigators. Litunsky then cooked and ate a part of Bacon's body, which I can't bear to repeat, apparently because he believed it was appropriate due to it being a new moon. Then, he carried out the rest of what Litunsky claims was their agreement. As a result of ending Bacon's life, he was going to utilize his body for different things. It seems Litunsky had detailed plans on how to fully utilize Bacon's body. He was to use bone meal to plant tulips, his intestines to grow chestnuts or peach pits, and he would use his muscles to make jerky. In a chilling addition to the already gruesome tale, just days after the arrest, the U.S. Postal Service intercepted a package bound for Litunsky's address. Upon opening it, they discovered a food dehydrator, perfect for making jerky. As the search continued for Kevin, his car was finally discovered where he'd left it in the parking lot three days before. In it, his cell phone and clothes in a shopping bag. It didn't take long for authorities to work out who Kevin Bacon was with on Christmas Eve and where he most likely was. When Michigan State Police Detective Robert Viviano, along with four other officers, arrived at Latunsky's home late at night on December 27th, Latunsky answered the door, wearing a leather kilt. He didn't appear nervous and allowed authorities to search the house and property. Detective Viviano made his way downstairs into the basement and with his body bumped open a door to a hidden room. When he peeked around the corner, he saw the stuff of nightmares. Like something out of the most bone-chilling horror movie, Bacon's lifeless body was strung up like meat in a slaughterhouse. Viviano screamed, Oh my God! Oh my God! and staggered away from the horror show. He yelled out to another officer to arrest Latunsky. Resigned to his fate, he was immediately handcuffed with no resistance 
and made no hesitation to begin confessing to the crime and all the gory details. After being read his rights, Latunsky told them everything, including his detailed and gruesome plans for Bacon's corpse. He was charged with two felonies, homicide and mutilation of a dead body. Initially, he used aliases, including Wilk Olikos Vilkas, a vanity name he used on a site called Rent Men. He later claimed he was really Edgar Thomas Hill from the Thomas clan of Wales, but he'd changed his name to Mark Latunsky for his own protection. Suffice to say, he's a full-blown nutter. In a request for mental evaluation, his attorney cited a slip from reality. Just a slip? The defendant is so overwhelmingly fixated on a conspiracy theory involving multiple nations and involved in multiple trust accounts, he wrote in the request for a forensic evaluation. Initially, despite Latunsky claiming that Bacon had asked him to end his life and that he'd slit his throat as part of that agreement, the evidence showed that Bacon had taken precautions to protect himself. Police recovered messages from Bacon's phone asking his date to confirm to him that he would be safe. Latunsky's lawyer, Douglas Corwin, later tried to add a charge of assisted suicide to assert his claim, but the judge denied his request. In January 2020, Corwin entered an insanity plea for Latunsky. That February, a judge ruled he was incapable of standing trial. But later in October, the court reversed the decision, saying he was able to start trial proceedings. As of August 2021, his trial has yet to start. He faces, unsurprisingly and thankfully, life in prison. Since Bacon's killing, there have been at least two other known cases where men died after meeting other men on hookup apps, including one in Berlin where a teacher allegedly cannibalized his date after meeting him on Grinder. To preserve his memory, one year after they lost him, family and friends went to Flint Rock and painted a mural in tribute to Kevin Bacon. They painted a colorful rainbow and a portrait of Bacon with his trademark purple hair. Well, that was certainly a heavy story. Hey, play it safe out there, folks. I'm no expert on the 21st century dating scene, but common sense plays a role here. And I know it's probably pretty exciting to have a quick hookup, like on Grindr or Tinder, but you gotta be safe. Meet in public, be in control of your transportation, tell people who you're going out with, be safe. Thank you for listening to the Serial Talker podcast. It's my pleasure to bring you these podcasts on a weekly basis. If you like these kinds of podcasts, by all means, subscribe to the channel. If you'd like to help support the costs of hosting this podcast, you could always buy me a cup of coffee. Those details are in the description. Also, if you have a compelling true story that you'd like me to consider reading, please send me an email. That information is also in the description. And why not share the Serial Talker podcast? If you think a friend or two would like the podcast, please send it on. Thank you so much, and we'll be seeing you again next week. Ciao for now.